Well, what's up, PVN students? Welcome back to our series in Galatians, part two. Um, part two of, I have no idea how many, but it's gonna be awesome. We're in Galatians chapter one, six through 10. Galatians chapter one, six through 10. And I'll tell you what we'll do. I'm just gonna read through it real quick and then we'll spend the rest of our time breaking it down together. So Galatians chapter one, six through 10. Paul says this, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really no other gospel. Only there are some who, dis who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have already preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So in this section, right? So last week we covered Galatians 1, 1 through 5, and now we're in 6 through 10. In this section, we see just how serious the problem in Galatia is, just how serious the problem in Galatia is. Now, remember, last week we discussed in Acts 13 and 14 how you can read about Paul's first visit to Galatia before he wrote this letter. You know, what was it like before Paul wrote the letter of Galatians, right? What was that like? You can go back in Acts 13 and 14 and check that out. And it was a massive, let, let me kind of sum it up for you. It was a massive success, Paul's first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14 to Galatia was a massive success. You had people repenting of their sins, miracles were taking place, all sorts of things. But then after Paul left, Jewish Christians came in. Galatia is an area filled with Gentiles, um, people who are not Jewish. Most of you listening, I would, say, I would even want you to say all of you listening are probably Gentile. Okay, we're still Gentile. We're not, we don't, we're not Jewish people. We don't practice Jewish law. We are Gentile. That's what Galatians was full of. But then Jewish Christians came in who misunderstood the gospel, who got this wrong, and they started teaching some different things. Jewish Christians come in after Paul leaves who claim that you could not just become a Christian through faith in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. You had to become Jewish as well. There were no, you couldn't be a Gentile Christian. You had to be a Jewish Gentile Christian, you see. You had to follow all the Jewish laws and customs. And these Gentiles in Galatia, they believed them. They started practicing all the Jewish laws as well because they thought, if we don't practice these Jewish laws, we can't be Christians. And Paul is angry to say the least. Paul would usually start his letters with a blessing of some sort, a nice way to kind of ease into the issues he needed to talk about. There is none of that here. In Galatians 1.6, Paul, Paul just jumps in and says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the, by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. There's nothing in there about blessing. I'm amazed that you're becoming so foolish so quickly. Let me give you an example of what, why this is such a big deal. In 1 Corinthians, here are just 
some of the things the people in 1 Corinthians were doing wrong. They were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Every Baptist just threw up in their mouths, right? They're getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, which is like, I mean, think about how awful that is. One man, later on it says, one man is having an incestuous relationship with his mom. Okay, sixth graders, go home and read that one with mom and dad. Church members are suing each other in open court. And then Paul also spends a whole chapter trying to fix everybody's marriage. This place is, uh, the Hebrew is a train wreck, okay? This place is an absolute disaster. But then as messed up as they are, as ridiculous as they are, listen to how Paul starts the letter of 1 Corinthians. I thank my God always concerning you. Really? I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you are enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed to you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will confirm you to the end, blameless in the day that he comes. I thank God for you. Really? Getting drunk at the Lord's Supper? Incestuous relationship? All these terrible sins. Look at how messed up the church in Corinth was because of their sin. And Paul still spends an entire paragraph blessing them, not blessing them out, right? This isn't South Georgia, but blessing them. And here in Galatians, Paul gives no blessing, none. This is how bad things had gotten in Galatia. This is how dangerous things were. Because you think, in Corinth, they were committing all these sins. There's a way back from that. We all know that. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, He has died for the worst of the worst, for the lowest of the low. Anyone can turn back to Christ. There is a way back. And Paul is so concerned that if Galatians, if the church in Galatia gets the gospel itself wrong, there may not be a way back from that. This is how desperate things, this is how serious the matter really was. These Judaizers, remember last week, to live like a Jew... Those are the men who are, and women who are coming into Galatia trying to make you live like a Jew, to Judaize you. These Judaizers wanted to make Gentiles become Jews before they could become Christians. And Paul, Paul's realizing if you put another wall up that would stop people from becoming Christians in the first place, there may not be a way that they can get back from their sins. This is a desperate situation. In one six, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. Just deserting? I'm I'm shocked that you are deserting Jesus. This is a military term, and you can hear it. I mean, deserting, it means to become a traitor. And these guys were deserting. What does he say? I'm amazed that you are so quickly betraying Jesus. You are these guys were deserting the gospel so quickly that Paul was amazed. He had led them by, by himself. He had led them himself by the hand to Jesus. And they're forgetting, and they're leaving. Paul himself, dude, wrote like half the New Testament. He's the one who led them to Christ, and now they're so quickly deserting him. Never underestimate how quickly 
we can forget the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never underestimate how quickly you or I can forget the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a crime that we see someone give their life to the Lord on a Sunday morning or a church camp, baptize them, and then we send them out the door, assuming that they are locked in for life and good to go on their own. Acts 13 and 14, Paul's missionary journey to Galatia is a massive success. Sinners saved. Miracles performed. Miracles! If someone performed a miracle in church, you would never forget it. That stuff was happening on a regular basis in Galatia. Churches planted, so many things happening, and yet they still turned away so quickly. We cannot say that a church is blessed just because things are happening, just because it has programs and numbers. And that is what so many churches focus on today. Numbers are growing, programs are running smoothly, therefore the church must be fruitful. But there is no focus on keeping their members close to Christ through teaching the Bible. I shudder to think about what spiritual shape those churches are really in, especially since with all their programs and numbers, sometimes programs and numbers are the very things that cause us to forget the gospel in the first place. If the ancient church of Galatia can leave the gospel so quickly it made an apostle's head spin, how much more dangerous is our time? with screens and attractions everywhere we look. As of 2018, Netflix had over 4,000 movies and over 1,500 TV shows. Over 4,000 movies and over 1,500 TV shows. Well, that's why we don't have Netflix. Well, before you start blaming Netflix for people backsliding, remember the Galatians had none of those things. But this is just an example to show you that if they in ancient days before cable, if they can backslide and forget about Christ, then we, with, with our limitless distractions, we cannot leave people to their own devices. Our world desperately pulls us away from God. Our hearts are prone to wander, just like the hymn says. Christianity is not a lazy river. It is an active swim. And we keep treating it like the former. We keep treating it like it's this lazy river. You, you walk the aisle, and then you're cruising for the rest of your life. There are no Christians in heaven who cruised for the rest of their life because that's, by definition, that's not what Christianity is. We must look to God and consistently repent of our sin, and ask Him to keep us through His grace. How many people do you know who walked an aisle or cried at a church camp years ago, and you know for sure that they're far away from God now? What happened to them? What happened in Galatia? Paul brought the Word, preached a great sermon, they repented, and then as soon as new teaching stepped in, they were dragged away. And what about you? No more looking at the world and how bad my friends are and blah, blah, No, no, no. Christian church kid, let's talk for a second. What about you? What about me? 
At one time, we were so excited about God and our Bibles were interesting. We prayed in the mornings. But then one day that slipped. One night you, you watched something instead of reading your Bible for a little while. And one night doing that became one week doing that. Now you can't remember the last time you knelt before God by your bed or read his word. God's grace will keep us tethered to him. God's grace does that. And sometimes, well, what does his grace look like? Is, this this, is it this magical thing? No, sometimes his grace comes in the form of our parents or godly friends or a godly spouse saying, hey, how's your relationship with God been lately? Let's do a Bible study together. Or, or it doesn't even have to be, let's do a Bible study. It, let's have an honest conversation about where you are with Jesus. Sometimes God, you know, I, I wish Paul was still around. Well, sometimes God sends Pauls into our lives to speak truth. Sometimes the, the chain that God uses to keep us connected to him is in the form of a, of a person, of a pastor or a teacher or a parent or a friend who loves you enough to be honest with you. We should be thankful for that. Remember, it was Nathan in the Old Testament who went to David and said, what you did with Bathsheba and her husband, this, is, this was wrong. We should be thankful for the Nathans in our lives and too often, and the Pauls in our lives, and too often we just push them away. Mom, I don't want to hear it right now. I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear from my friend who's being honest with me. Can't we just talk about video games or complain about things together like we always do? We need to be thankful when Jesus brings Paul's into our lives to speak truth. This is God acting in special grace to you. Not everybody gets that. But he loves you enough to send someone to you. We need his grace to keep us. And in 1.6 again it says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who calls you. When you leave Christianity, you're not deserting a philosophy. You're deserting a person. This was not just a different set of beliefs that they decided to take on instead of Christianity. They, Paul says, you're leaving Jesus. To leave the teaching of the Bible is to turn our back on God. To teach something other than the Bible is to teach people to love someone other than Jesus Christ. Let's get into the meat. Look at 1.7. Paul says, which is really not another gospel, only there are some, that's the, Jude the Judaizers, there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. They are distorting the gospel of Christ. And this is so important to the like six of you listening to me on Facebook right now. This is so important. The distortion of the gospel is what is destroying the church. This word for distort or to pervert, it means to take what already exists and flip it on its head. To take what already exists and flip it on its head. To take it and turn it upside down. Whoever they are, right? Whoever some people are in verse 7, the Judaizers, these Jewish Christians, 
They aren't saying something brand new. This is what's so important about distorting. You're taking what's already in existence and you're changing it. They're not, they're not throwing something out of, from out of left field here. They are taking the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul preached and they're twisting it around. One of the most dangerous things about a church, not that church is bad, right? But I'm just saying, one of the most dangerous things about a church is that you can put anyone on stage to talk about anything. And as long as they have a microphone in their hands, somebody's going to believe them. We say, the Galatians, come, I mean, come on, they had Paul, the guy. They had Paul. Miracles. He performed miracles, for goodness sakes, guys. How could they change beliefs from what he taught to something completely different? How could they change to something completely different? It's because these guys who came in weren't using words that were completely different. What they were, and here's where you got to be wise, Proverbs. They were teaching something completely different, but they were using language that everybody liked and was and already knew. Look at what so many churches believe today. Let me give you some. What does that look? Let me give you some examples. How do you how do you teach something that's wrong? using the right words. Jesus is the key to finding a boyfriend or girlfriend. Jesus is here, so you don't have to be a victim anymore. Jesus is clearly a member of your political party. I'm going to let that one sit for a minute. Jesus is the key to personal fulfillment, so you won't suffer anymore. Jesus is the key to health and wealth. Jesus is the best way to get our church to grow. Jesus wants you to do something great for him. Boy, there's a lot of youth pastors that I hope heard that one. Jesus thinks you're awesome. Go you. When someone says you're not good enough, Jesus thinks you're good enough. Jesus is the best teacher on leadership. Jesus doesn't care about your sin anymore. On and on and on. And here's the big problem. All those false gospels I just mentioned, they still talk about Jesus. You see, they've brought in a new thing, but they're using old words. They're not pulling something out of left field. They are distorting what is already there. Is Jesus important in figuring out who you date? Of course he is. Does Jesus have lessons on leadership that we can glean? Sure he does. But that's not the reason Jesus came. And when churches and, and when pastors, when we, when we take a smaller part of his ministry and make it the main... Does Jesus influence your politics? He better. But he didn't come just so he could influence your politics. But when we take that and we push it into center stage, it moves the... something. If you move something into center stage, then whatever was in center stage has to leave. And when you move the gospel out of center stage, you're preaching a false gospel now.
But boy, it sounds good. Well, he's talking about Jesus and he has a microphone, so he must be legit. That cannot be the only requirement to teach about Jesus. And especially to students and to their parents. You as listeners cannot simply let the loudest voice or the funniest, most engaging speaker steal your heart away. You know who else was an engaging speaker? Satan. Adam and Eve were handmade by God. Literally. And they are taken away by Satan's words. I'm reading a, a humongous book right now about Hitler's rise to power in Germany. And I'm not very far into it, but what's astonishing me right now is that this guy won his country largely by his ability to speak in public. He didn't have money, he didn't have influence, but he knew how to work a crowd. And he brought Germany to, his, to its knees. Think about these people that we know from Acts chapter 17 called the Bereans, or the Bereans, depending on how smart you want to sound. Just listen to Acts, one verse, Acts 17, 11, and think about being a listener as people teach about the Bible. Now, these Bereans were noble-minded, more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. What does it mean to be noble-minded? Here we go. For they received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were true. They didn't just hear Paul and Barnabas preach and say, well, they're on stage, so I, I better buy into it. It's on the internet, so it must be true. I mean, come on, right? But that's what we do in church. Well, he's yelling about this, so golly, it must, be, it must be right. These guys were actively searching the Scriptures daily. They didn't have to throw everything in in one afternoon to figure it all out. They committed themselves to this daily trying to figure out, trying to hear what the preacher was saying, trying to dig into the Word for themselves. How can we keep from being led astray the way the Galatians were? How can we keep from being led into a false gospel? If anyone tries to give you a magic button to do this, you have my permission to get up and leave or turn the TV off. How do we keep from being led astray? There is no magic button. We must know the Word so that we do not wander away from the Word. We must know the Word so that we do not wander away from it. That's the key. How do I know if this guy is teaching Galatians right? You need to read Galatians for yourself. And this is the same thing in anything, right? How do you know this is legit? Well, look for yourself and see. I believe that, that Columbus came to America in this year. How do you know I'm right? Go and look it up. We must know the word so that we are not carried away from the Word. Satan is not a fool. He's thousands of years older than you and thousands of years more powerful than you. 
He took God's word in Genesis. He took God's word. Did God really say? He took God's words in Genesis 3 and he distorted them. It's the same sin. He twisted them. And his servants do the same thing in Galatians and they do the same thing in pulpits today. Yes, I said pulpits where preachers teach. Think about what you're hearing on Sundays and Wednesdays and as you go to different churches in college and as adults. Think as you listen. I wrote that in bold so you know it's legit. Think as you listen. And listen, you don't have, listen, you don't have to be hypercritical all the time. Some people will hear this and say, okay, I'm going to start critiquing everything that Max says or that Ryan says or that Bob T. I'm not, no, you don't have to be hypercritical. You don't have to be a jerk about it. I think all pastors, in fact, let's go the reverse. I think all pastors like it when their congregation is hungry and flipping pages in their Bible and taking notes. Remember, Max says all the time, he loves to hear the pages flipping because he knows that that means people are in it. And I think, and I, I think that's awesome. Again, though, just because you flip pages and take notes, that doesn't mean you're thinking. It's about think. Maybe you are, and that's good. But it's about thinking about what you're hearing wherever you go to church. Verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached, then let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, let him be accursed. An angel, if they come and speak something that is different than what I've already preached to you, don't listen. It does not matter who is speaking to you. And this is so important, guys. Well, he's wearing a suit. It must be legit. Oh, well, he's preaching in jeans. He can relate to me. All right, I'll listen to him. What are they saying? Look at what Paul says in verse 8. But even if we, don't get to the angel yet, if we, who, who preached to them originally? In the middle of verse 8, then what we have already preached to you. Paul says, if I come back, me, if I come back and, and say, you know what? I heard from God again. I was wrong. Don't listen to me. Paul says, if we come back, if, the, if I come back to you and preach something different than the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't listen to me. If an angel, guys, an angel, if an angel shows up, fire all around them, don't be afraid. If an angel comes to you, it's interesting because isn't that how Mormonism started? If an angel comes to you and says something different, don't listen to him. Okay, Ryan, I'm not going to have an angel come to me or whatever. All right, you don't do the angel thing? Okay. Not that angels aren't re angels definitely are real, but maybe the angel thing you can't really relate to it. Okay, fine. Let's let's get real for a second, as Mac McCurry says. Let's get real. How about someone famous? How often, and we as a church, we are the most guilty people for this. How often do we put athletes or movie stars who happen to mention Jesus one time or <gasps> politicians come speak at our church? And anything they say, movie stars, politicians, whatever, anything they say, no matter how ridiculous, 
no matter how messed up their life is versus what they're actually saying, no matter what they say, we just eat it up. Because they're famous. That's the key factor. Not because they've used the word to convince us of things. They're famous. So we want to hear. We want to do whatever they say. This guy played football in college. He should come speak to the kids about Jesus. What? I mean, maybe. Is he a good Bible teacher? Is he a good Bible teacher? Ryan, didn't you hear me? The guy played football in college. That's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as being a good Bible teacher. It does not matter who is speaking to you. Do you hear what they are saying? Are you weighing it in your mind? Paul says it doesn't matter who it is. If it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's false. We need to get the cool kids in here. Then people will believe. Then our ministry will grow. Jesus doesn't need the cool kids. There's nothing wrong with cool kids. I mean, I'm pretty sure David was a cool kid. He killed Goliath. He killed lions. He's pretty cool. There's nothing wrong with cool people. But Jesus doesn't need them. Jesus Christ is the name above every name, Philippians 2.9. He doesn't need anyone else's name to help build his name. But this is the perverted Judaizer method that churches use. I can't tell you how many college ministries in this city are desperate to get a certain type of people in their ministry. Because if they get this certain type, then more people will come and the church will grow. That's disgusting. It's a false gospel. That's the gospel of celebrity. Celebrity doesn't save anybody. Wit and smooth talk don't save people. Jesus Christ on the cross saves sinners. Any hope other than that is a false gospel. Any goal other than that is a false gospel. This is why Paul is furious about this, because the Jewish law, now he's not furious just because they're wrong. This isn't a pride thing. Paul is furious about this because the Jewish law that they're trying to get people to obey cannot stop people from sinning. The law is meant to show people that they can't stop breaking the law. That's the whole point. Of, well, that's a huge part of the point of Romans. The Jewish law cannot stop you from sinning. And in the same way, me telling you how Jesus is your cheerleader instead of your Savior, that might make, that might make you feel good. It might help you get a good cry in during the closing song. But it doesn't help your soul. Me telling you how Jesus wants you to do something great for Him takes your eyes off of the great thing that He's done for you. Jesus Christ as Savior and King is the only Jesus who can rescue people from their sin and hell. Jesus, the leadership expert, doesn't do that. By the way, it says, let them be accursed in verse 8. This word is anathema. It's an Old Testament word that means set apart, 
so that God can destroy them. Let these people who preach this false gospel to you be set apart so that God can destroy them. It means they deserve to go to hell for teaching you this. Paul is saying, don't miss this. Paul's saying in 8 and 9, if an angel comes to you and preaches to you a different gospel than what God's word says, that angel deserves to go to hell. And Paul repeats that again in verse 9 to show you, he's not just, you know how when you get mad you just say stuff? He's not just flying off a handle. He's settled. This is his judgment. These people are not Christians if this is what they truly believe. They deserve hell if this is what they're going to teach you and stick to it. Christianity is not based on the messenger, but on the message. Preaching any gospel that distracts from the beauty and saving power of Jesus is a serious, heartbreaking sin. Lastly, verse 10. For I am now seeking For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. It's ironic. Why does Paul bring this? I'm not trying to please people. Because this is part of what the Judaizers... Remember, Paul's gone. He's writing the letter from a distance. The Judaizers came in, and not only are they preaching a false gospel, they're bashing Paul. They're saying he's just a people pleaser. Of course he didn't tell you about the Jewish law. You're Gentiles. He knew you wouldn't like it. He's just trying to impress you. He's trying to win you over. It's ironic that these false teachers are are accusing Paul of being a people pleaser because false teachers are the most pathetic people pleasers in our world today. They want people's approval so much they will trade the Bible for it. You don't want to talk about marriage? Okay, we won't talk about it. You don't want to talk about racism? Okay, we won't talk about it. You don't want to talk about gender roles? Okay, we won't talk about it. Just don't get mad. Just don't leave. Just approve of what we're doing, please. People pleasers care about your approval more than they care about you. False teachers, people pleasers, they care more about your approval then they care about you. He's so nice. He's such a good teacher. Well, I'm glad you like him because deep down, he doesn't really care about you. If he's a false teacher, of course you're gonna, of course he's gonna be nice. He's trying to win your approval. He doesn't actually care about you. And not that if you care about someone, you have to be mean to him all the time. You get what I'm saying. Use common sense, right? Paul says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. When you love someone, you are willing to sacrifice yourself. You're willing to let them hate you as long as it means they are safe. If they never speak to you again, it's worth it if you know that they're safe. Paul is saying, I'm not here for your approval. But that can so easily be twisted into this like gotcha moment. I'm not here for your approval. I'm too cool for it. Yeah, you go, Paul. You're the man. That's not what Paul is thinking here when he says that. He's saying, I am bound by Jesus Christ to speak the truth of his word no matter what it costs me. 
I am bound by Jesus Christ to teach his word about gender, about race, about salvation, about politics, about whatever. I am bound to preach the truth of his word no matter what it costs me. People pleasers don't talk like that. And they may even talk like that, but they don't act like it. And the only way you'll know the difference is if you think when they teach you. Paul is saying, I am a servant of Jesus. And even if serving him means you get mad at me for telling you the truth, if that's what keeps you safe, if that's what keeps you close to Jesus, I'll sacrifice myself to do it. I'm willing to lose your friendship if it means Jesus keeps you. That's how much Paul loves these people. Love is sacrificial. The cross was the greatest act of love of all time, and it was a sacrifice. Jesus's love for you is not rooted in good vibes and smooth words. It's rooted in his sacrifice for your sins. Jesus loves you more than I could ever preach to you, more than Paul could ever preach to you. He loves you too much to let you stay blind to what is true. And maybe this morning, still technically morning, and maybe this morning he is getting a hold of you to keep you from slipping away from him. Just like Paul is doing with the Galatians. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.